This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And welcome back to the Cooler Jets podcast. We host Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, it is finally game week. I could not be more excited for this Sunday. I know the Jets aren't the favorites in this one, but there's certainly a lot of optimism heading into the season. And even for week one, you know, there's always the, the week one jitters and excitement, but I, I really do feel good about uh, the team this year, even if this matchup isn't necessarily great to, to start off the year. Uh, you're coming up. It's the first time we'll see a game together in person. So a lot to look forward to this Sunday. We will be talking about uh, like an in-depth preview about the, the Ravens and Jets game on Friday. This week will be a little different. We'll talk a little bit about the game. Uh, we'll we'll talk uh, about uh, briefly about the 53-man roster cuts, but this episode will be about our predictions for the season as a whole. So on Friday will be our in-depth Ravens preview. But I will say, start of the week, Michael, how are you feeling? Are you excited? I mean, I know you're excited, but how excited? Uh, if, you, if we had to rank them between uh, every year we've done this podcast, we started it August of 2019. They, they haven't had a single win in September since we've been doing this podcast. But 2019-2020, last year against the Panthers, this year, where, where, does this, where does this stack up? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is – and not to underrate how excited we've been for other seasons because, look, we're always pretty excited. But there, there is something a little bit different this year. Um, you know, like you mentioned, I'm going to be coming up to New York to see the game with you. So that's going to be pretty awesome. Um, then just, just outside of that, just the excitement with this team, how much legitimate talent it feels like to have on both sides of the ball, just veteran talent and young talent. Um, there, there's a lot of energy. So I'm, I'm amped up for this game. And it, regardless of what the outcome is, because, you know, they're, this is a tough team they're playing. Um, regardless of that, it just feels like that it's it's gonna we're gonna see the Jets really show that they can compete this year. I really do believe that we're going to see them, and I feel like we say that every year, but I think this will finally be the season where we're like, okay, the Jets are an NFL team again, and then from there, hopefully, it can build and build as the years go on. But um, this should be the start of all that, so I'm very excited. Yeah, I think I think they'll get a win in September this time around. What do you think? I mean, not to get into the season predictions too early, but you think you think we'll get a September win against the AFC North? I think they will. I think they will. And I know that's like that's what our bar is for this team, just win a game <laughs> in September. But uh, I think you know, you look at week two, weeks two and four, you know, playing the Deshaun Watson list Browns and then the Mitch Trubisky Steelers. I think those between those two you got to get at least one and then the two tougher teams you get both of them at home so I, th I think between those four games they should be able to get one but but we'll see 
Yeah, to keep this podcast timely, there's two pieces of news that came out. We'll start with the first one, which I don't know if it's news. I don't know if it's just coach speak, but Robert Sala kind of floating out the possibility that Zach Wilson could play. Uh, we'll have a, a firm answer Wednesday. This podcast will come out Tuesday. So there's at least a day of speculation. Do you think he's just putting that possibility out there to just keep the Ravens guessing just a little bit. It seems like Flacco will be the starter, but if you do listen to the press conference, it does kind of sound like Sala's view of this is just like, you know, Zach's going to have to go out there either this Monday or, or this week or next week um, and start playing. He's going to have to go into the fire uh, one of these weeks. It's not like he can have a, a super long ramp up period. So it does seem like if his knee's stable and he's feeling good, like you could just throw him in week one. What do you think? Is there a chance we see him on Sunday, or do you think this is just solid trying to throw the Ravens off the trail? I, I mean, I feel like there might be a little bit of a chance, and I, I think what kind of changes, you know, the, the team's perception of whether or not to play him versus us is just the, the amount of information that they have. Because from our perspective, I think it, it's very easy to say, you know, play it safe. Um, just take your time with it and all that but you know they have a much closer um, they've been more closely monitoring you know how he's recovering how he's been working out staying conditioned and just how it's all going so if he truly is 100 percent with no pain no limitations and they feel like he's ready to go then you know why not throw him out there it's it's hard for us to say even though we'd like to play it on the cautious side but you know if there is any sort of you know concern you know if he's not 100 percent back then i think they'll they'll play it safe and wait at least one more week and i think that is what's going to happen it's right. probably like you were saying you know just leave that possibility open to keep the other team guessing a little bit to kind of throw off their game planning probably more so that uh, especially with the fact that joe flacco has kind of been you know mentally preparing to be the starter for a few weeks and physically just in terms of taking the first team reps um, so I, I still think it's going to be Flacco, but I do think there is a small possibility that maybe he just is further along than we as you know, outsiders might think he is. Yeah, Salah said that, you know, the offense doesn't change much when you have Flacco or Wilson in. But, I, you know, it, I guess the offense itself doesn't. But just the the improvisation and the mobility at the quarterback position inherently changes how you might play them. We'll get more into that on, on Friday's podcast, talking about the schemes and if it's Flacco or if it's Wilson. I will know by then. But I, I think I think if uh, – look, I mean, he was on a cart, what was it, 10 days ago <laughs> watching practice. You know, I get they didn't want him to stand on the leg for too long. Maybe they were being cautious. He had that sleeve on it. It looked like he's been walking gingerly. I mean, it does sound like from what the beat reporters – like you said, the amount of information we have, the limited times the beat reporters have seen him, it does seem like he's progressed well. Uh, I think the last report we had was that uh, I'm trying to remember which, which day it was, if it was practice or something that he was moving around, didn't look like he was limping. So it's possible that his knee feels completely fine. And if his knee feels completely fine, if he's passing all the stability tests that the doctor say, says he's hundred percent, there is an argument to be made saying we'll throw him out there this week. And I think if, you know, as, as you said, we don't have all the information, but I think from reading Robert Sala's tone, unless he's just a great actor, it does kind of sound like if this was a playoff game, he might play this Sunday, but you know, what's the harm in you know giving his knee another week to get back into shape it's like we don't know how long he's been running for how long he's been throwing for like why not give his body and his mind one other extra week you have joe flacco going up against his former team i don't know it, it kind of just seems like you know the, it's a season opener at home it just seems like maybe week two i know it'll be, it'll be against miles garrett but you can't you know pick and choose like that this is your starting quarterback i think week two on the road against Jacoby Brissett, giving him an extra week is, is probably the smart play and if 
you're a betting man. You're, you're definitely betting on that. But you know, we'll we'll find out on Wednesday if it if it is if it is possible. I think there's maybe a slight chance. I don't think Salah would just flat out lie. I mean, but I think he probably knows, and I think everybody kind of knows that this will be Joe Flacco this Sunday. Um, anything else you want to add on that before we move to some of the uh, 53 man cuts? You know, I think I mostly agree with you that, you know, playing it on the caution, cautious side is the right way to do it just because it, it's one game out of 17. And if it, you know, helps him to, to helps to decrease his chances of re-injuring and just being able to play up to his full capability, then right. you know, by all means, just go ahead and sit him out one more week. That's the benefit of having Joe Flacco's that, you know, you can sit him and feel like, all right, we can win, still compete and potentially win this meaningful game to start the season um so yeah I, I do lean on the side of caution but um i think there still probably is a real chance that you know maybe he just is doing better than you know both the initial prognosis kind of suggested and you know just the timetable and all that so it will be interesting to see i, I would say it's 90 percent flacco maybe 10 percent wilson i think that's that's probably a good estimate and you know do you think this is that crazy of me to just say it- Maybe this is just based off because it's Flacco facing his former team. But, you know, I'm, I'm not – my excitement level for week one doesn't change that much whether or not Zach or Joe Flacco is, is playing. Is that is that crazy? I mean, I think it would for all the other games. But week one, Flacco going up against his former team, I feel like he is that calming veteran presence. He Obviously, it's a different defense. They change defensive coordinators. But it's the same principles of the Ravens' defense. I just feel like – you know, I feel like Flacco still gives the Jets a very good chance to, to win this game. I mean, you could maybe even argue – that in this specific game might give the Jets a better chance. Do you think that's crazy to say, or, you know, or, or are we no, on the right I, track? I mean, I agree with you. And I, we, we have had a few weeks kind of rationalize it, but, but no, I think it is uh, a fair thing to say just, just because of this specific team and not only because of the revenge storyline, <laughs> which is fun. Yeah. It definitely how, how adds could, to it. How could they replace Joe Flacco with Lamar Jackson like that? I mean, of, of course. Yeah. Like that, <laughs> that's all that matters in this game is the revenge storyline, but, but no, that that's definitely fun. But in addition to that, I just think, you know, from a, you know, pure matchup standpoint, I think you look at a defense like this, a lot of man coverage, exotic blitzes, stuff like that. And you'd like Zach Wilson to at some point prove that he can handle these things. But right now in this moment, we don't really know that yet. Whereas Joe Flacco, you know, you kind of believe that he can do a decent enough job to protect the ball, make the throws he needs to make to at least, keep you in this game you you do feel a little more confident in him against that type of defense until Zach Wilson proves that yeah he's here he's arrived he can play these type of teams and compete so so yeah I do agree that I think the the excitement level is is similar because you believe in Flacco's ability against this particular team yeah yeah and last thing this and this is something we talk about either Friday or the next week I don't think the I think some of the pressure that's going to be on Zach Wilson in his first game back you know, there should be the qualifier that I don't think the first week we get of Zach Wilson will be the best week, obviously. Like, I think he's just a guy who's going to keep getting better with with all the reps that he gets. I mean, you listened to Brett Favre talk about that a few weeks ago, where it's just like, this is just a quarterback that needs reps. He needs in-game experience because he has all the talent in the world. Um, so I think that's important to keep in mind if he plays this Sunday or next week. Like, this is a quarterback that is going to get better throughout the season, in my opinion. Um, all right, let's talk briefly about some of the 53-man cuts. It happened a few days ago. The, I guess the last little round of it was today. So it's, I guess it's somewhat uh, relevant. Uh, kind of a strange roster move. Zonovan Knight makes the initial roster. The Jets have four running backs. They only have three offensive tackles. And then today, they cut Zonovan Knight, hoping to sneak him onto the practice squad, because I believe they still had one spot left. And may, I could be wrong about that. But if, if I remember, they only had 15 signed. Um, 
you can fact check me on that. Um, but and then bring back Connor McDermott, who they who they released, who is I mean, Jets X Factor has been just railing against Connor McDermott since the beginning <laughs> of time. He yeah. might be the worst offensive tackle in all of football. He's terrible. He was getting outplayed by by not only Max Mitchell, who seems like seems like coaching staff is fairly high on, but Chuma Doga, who got cut and got claimed. Uh, and he missed all the camp after that. Like he played two weeks, got outplayed, got injured. Before, I think it was the green and white scrimmage. He got injured and hasn't played since then. So it's kind of strange that I'm not going to lose sleep over cuttings on of a night, especially assuming that he, he goes to the practice squad to bring back McDermott, who hopefully won't have to play, but it's just like, what is this weird attachment to Connor McDermott? Uh, do, do, can you explain it? Can you rationalize it? No, I, I can't. I definitely can't. It's, it's <laughs> okay. okay hardest... Good. Next topic. <laughs> yeah. Next topic. All right. No, for real. I mean, like, it's one of the hardest things to explain on this roster. And, and Joe, Doug, Joe Douglas has done, I think, a nice job. Hopefully the wins come at some point. But most of the moves, you can you see where he's coming from. They make Especially sense, the last but, two years. Yeah, the last two years specifically. But um, But there are some moves where you just, it feels like they have sort of this, like, sort of, sort of attachment to particular players that is more... Where they like this player more than it seems like is is justified based on the production. You know, Nathan Shepard is one of them who they didn't acquire, but still strangely have an attachment to. But guys like him and then Connor McDermott is a big one where it's just why Davis. do you guys like this player so much? Ashton Davis sticking around, like, why do you guys like these players so much? It does seem like they do have sort of that tendency to to get attached to guys. So I don't know what it is with McDermott. His production is terrible. Every single time he plays, he's He's pretty bad, and you notice the drop-off. Um, I mean, maybe they think he's tight end upside based on that Jaguars <laughs> touchdown catch. Uh, no, he definitely doesn't, but uh, it's it's a hard one. He, he's really one understand. Of the, I think he's just one of those guys who uh, is very toolsy, like has a lot of maybe appealing traits because he's big and seemingly athletic, and he's, he's long. That's If you look at his he does have insane uh, length. But, yeah, it's, I can't think of many – when you go and watch the Jets, like – all 22 on NFL game, or it's like NFL plus now. Uh, and you watch the, the offensive line angle. I mean, the amount of time I have probably like 10 different plays in my head of Connor McDermott, just off the top of my head, just getting beat like a drum in every single game he's been in. I can't think of many positive plays outside of that touchdown against Jacksonville. Um, kind of circling back to what you said about Zach Wilson and the information we have. Some of that attachment is probably the, I don't know how, to qual- you know, quantify it. maybe the 10% of the data that we do probably more, honestly, they see these guys every single day in the weight room, in the film room. Uh, they know these guys character. It's part of the reason it's hard to criticize certain cuts because these right. guys have, you know, the coaches yeah. and the GM have a lot more information about these guys. But as you said, the production from McDermott has been terrible. And it is strange that, okay, they cut both Edoga and McDermott, Edoga gets claimed and then they bring McDermott back. I don't know why they chose to do it now. I'd have to, I don't know if there's any type of roster manipulation with McDermott being injured and having to release him, but it, the timing of it's all strange. The cool thing uh, it was how many players the Jets had claimed. I mean, seven on, on, uh, on the Wednesday after cutdown day and 11 total on active rosters. I mean, that's just, you know, a tribute to Joe Douglas and what he's been able to do to build up the depth of this roster. The Jets just have so many, you know, young promising potential depth pieces. What will make this team a, a good or even a great team is, if this guy's like, you know, Elijah Moore, Carl Lawson, Quinn, and Win- those guys, can they be stars? But there's no questioning the depth and specifically the young depth on this team. And you, the league recognized that. So that's cool. Um, but it is strange. It's like a dog outplayed him. If you were going to keep four offensive tackles, why didn't you just keep a doga and let McDermott walk? And clearly they have an attachment to McDermott. The one with Ashton Davis, though, I will say 
I've tried to rationalize it in my head. You let me know if, I, if I'm on the right. Here's, here's what I think, because they did mention two things with Ashton Davis, special teams and character. I can't speak to character. I can speak to the angles on run plays that he has, but special teams value, I guess they see, look, third round pick. If you, if you draft a, a great special teamer in the third round, that's not a terrible pick. I mean, the hit rate in the third round is higher than day three, but it's still not amazing. Uh, and Ashton Davis, college hurdler, great athlete. I mean, he doesn't take great angles, so that might not, you know, uh, factor into special teams, but he seems like maybe a guy who could be a great special teamer. It seems like Tony Adams, who we didn't really talk about that much at all. I think in the last week's episode, we said that's a, that's a guy that will definitely end up in the practice squad because he's had a few flash plays in preseason. Joe Blewett, I know, did a more of an in-depth breakdown on him and uh, really showed how he did play extremely well throughout the preseason. But it seems like they said, we're going to take Tony Adams over Jason Pinnock as the guy we think you know can play. I, I think they wanted Pinnock in the practice squad, but if they had to choose one, Adams seemingly can play slot corner if Michael Carter goes down, gives him more versatility uh, as as a corner and a free safety. And so they chose him over Pinnock, and then Davis is the special teamer. If one of the starting safeties goes down, I think Will Parks, who they figured would make it to the practice squad, is the guy that will get called up and might get reps even over Ashton Davis, who made the 53-man roster. Do you think that that's right? I kind of feel like it was very clear Parks outplayed Davis at safety, but maybe you put Davis in the active roster for special teams, and if there's an injury at safety, you can bring up Parks. Do you, do you think that's right, or do you think that they're just wanting to give Ashton Davis uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the bump over Will Parks because he was a draft pick? Well, I, I think that definitely has to be part of it. Although I think Douglas did kind of prove this offseason with the cuts, you know, last week that he, he is a little he's he's willing to part ways with some of his draft picks. He definitely proved that with, you know, Zuniga, Marshall, Hamza, you know, he showed that he will make those cuts if he has to. He's not overly attached to every draft pick, but I do think it maybe partially with Davis, especially because of how the 2020 class is, is panning out, you know, maybe they're just holding on to it a little bit, but I think, I think your justification makes sense. We know they value special teams with these bottom of the roster guys. Like we've heard it with Mims and other fringe roster players. Like you got to be able to contribute there to really make the roster as a bottom of the depth chart guy, but, which I like, I I'm a big special teams guy. I think it's cool that they, that they really value it. Um, so yeah, I think you, you look at Davis and the, at the athletic traits that he has, it definitely makes sense that it's that they, they see a guy who they could mold into a, a good special teamer. Maybe if he gets the chance to, you know, focus on that specifically, since the safety thing hasn't really panned out too well, but, but I think, I think Tony Adams is interesting and anyone who's watched Joe Blewett's film review at Jets X factor knows. And if you haven't, you should check it out. Um, his film in the preseason, I didn't even really notice it going through the first go round because it's a good thing really for subtle, which, which is a great thing for safety. And, and that's the whole point is that, you know, he wasn't really popping out because he's doing his job so well, kind of in a sauce gardener sort of way with his coverage. And then he did also make some nice tackles just as, you know, that didn't really pop out because they weren't tackles for loss or anything like that, but just like nice last line defense right. at tackles, you know, filling in and run support or chasing a play down to the sideline. So his he had a couple of big build, hits too, right? Yeah, he did. Like a couple of times he found the ball, you know, his finish was really strong. So his preseason film was quietly really good. And he, I think he did outplay pretty much. He's probably the best safety on the team. So I think it was deserved based on his play that he made the team. So uh, so I can see the justification with these two keeps. Uh, the Davis is still a little surprising, but uh, I think your thought process is on the right track. 
Yeah, I mean, look, it's. It, I think the valuation of special teams is something that that fans don't ever really care about, but it does make sense. Like, it's hard to be a good team if you're giving up 15 yard punt returns. You know, right. field position obviously matters. I'd like to see Braden Man get a little bit better at pinning teams back inside their own 10. It seems like every single time he just boots it straight into the end zone or he hits it at like the 19 yard line. Um, so, you know, if you're going to value special teams, hopefully the punter you drafted can hold up his end of it. But having guys like Hardy, bringing back a guy like Marshall Harris, who played a lot of special teams in San Francisco, Ashton Davis, like it does make you a better team. And it does kind of speak to that, the the spot the Jets are in, where they have all this, all this young, exciting pro- talent that they're trying to develop. And then these veteran leaders who are on Super Bowl teams and playoff teams and maybe guys like Vinnie Curry, who's a little older, um, you know, making the team over or maybe a guy like Jabari Zuniga because it's like, we want to have the best team available and not just, you know, the youngest team full of the players, the most, you know, the most potential uh, last one, before we get to, you know, looking at, at the season as a whole uh, keeping Ty Johnson. Well, initially it was Ty Johnson and Zana the night over Tevin Coleman. And then with today's move of McDermott, it's Ty Johnson over Coleman slash night. I get the sense you don't like it. Just looking at your face. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you rationalize that one at all? What does Ty Johnson bring to the table that Tevin Coleman didn't slash even a guy like Zonovan Knight? Uh, you know, I think, well, I'll, I'll let you go first. What, what does Ty Johnson bring to the table? How do you rationalize that move? Well, th- this one is definitely another puzzling one. Um, although I think with Johnson, you could sort of see some of the traits that are appealing about him. I think we saw it last year. I, I think his natural talent is pretty good. He does have nice speed. Um, his power is pretty good when, you know, at the, at the contact point, he can put his head down and get a few extra yards. I think he's a good outside zone, outside zone running back because of his ability to just, I, th- I think he hits top gear pretty quickly. So he can, you know, string it out horizontally one cut up field and he gets top speed pretty good. So he, he does have some talent, but it's just his fundamentals have got to be maybe the worst in the league for a running back. Just the drops, really bad pass blocking, doesn't give you much of anything as a route runner. Um, I think he's had some fumbles in his career too. So just all those things are really not there with him. And I feel like that's what you would kind of want in your third running back because you know they have a, two really talented guys at the top of this depth chart. And Tevin Coleman as that third guy, I think gives you, you know, the veteran experience. He's got size, good pass blocker, can run some routes. Um, they're pass catching. So he, he can do some of those things that can sort of fill in the gaps of your running back room and just give you a high floor when he comes in. But, you know, now you lose one or two running backs and Ty Johnson's in there and you get what you got in the Saints game last year when he's dropping three passes in a row. So it's, I don't know. This one didn't make a ton of sense. Obviously, Knight gives you more upside, him being younger. So I understood keeping him. But now Johnson overnight, you know, with the McDermott move, it's it's a little puzzling. So this one doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But I do see the talent that he has. But I I just don't think that's the right thing to to value with this third running back spot. Yeah, I guess the only thing with Johnson is out of him, Knight, and Coleman, he does seem like – the biggest more like he, out of all of them, he's kind of the back that you could replace Brees Hall with if Brees Hall with that with an injury, like in November, when you need a bigger body back who can handle more of a workload. Whereas like, you know, Tevin Coleman's at a good third down back brings the speed, the pass catching ability. I think Knight has a nice blend of the two, but he is still a smaller back. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, th- again, that's one of those where the coaches have another, have more information than we do. I do think that Ty Johnson, it's, is underrated in some respects. Like you said, like his natural talent is actually pretty solid. He's had plenty of 
good to solid plays in a jet uniform, but he's also had too many maybe bad plays that you'd like to see from a running back to be like, this guy should make it over a more proven player in Tevin Coleman or a more exciting young player in Zonovan Knight. But outside of that, I feel like all the cuts were fairly what we expected. No Denzel Mims trade. The practice squad rounded up pretty well. I mean, with today's changes to the practice squad, those guys will play. Those guys will come up. So I think they did a nice job rounding up the roster. And as I said, you know, with all the claims that the Jets got, uh, they didn't have any themselves, but other teams stealing their players. You have to feel good about the back end of this roster for sure. Um, all right, let's look towards the season as a whole. As I said, Friday, we'll go deeper into the Ravens game, talk about the schemes, players to look out for, predictions for that game, etc. cetera. Um, before we get into, we have a list of like superlatives, like, you know, record prediction, offensive MVP, stuff like that. And then we have some over-unders, like statistical stuff. Before we get into that, Michael, though, training camp is over. Preseason is over. It's the first, uh, you know, game week of the season. What can you take away from this Jets team from training camp? Like for me, one of the things, one of the minor things, obviously there's some big things, but one of the minor things I did notice is I think this is a team that hits hard. And I guess the reason that's important is when I watched this Jets defense last year, they felt soft. Too many times they felt soft. Too many times it felt like they were getting bullied. Uh, in the trenches. And that just can't happen with the style of play that they have. And maybe it's just preseason. Maybe it's like Quincy Williams hit on Jalen Hurts and Quan Alexander's hit uh, against the Giants. And there's a few other ones, like Will Parks had a few, um, are skewing this. But it seemed like the Jets, for the limited amount of tackling they've been able to do, and granted, we haven't seen the starters for a full four quarters. So we don't know if this is true for, you know, all units on the team. But it seems like, you know, tackling's in a good shape. They hit hard. It seems like the energy level uh, is extremely high from just what we've been able to see in the summer. I mean, what are some of the takeaways now that we've seen them in pads in some game situations before we get into the real stuff, anything you learned about this team that maybe you didn't know uh, a month ago? Well, I do agree with you on the hard hitting. I think that that's definitely something that was, that was pretty consistent. And it, it's definitely something that you need to see from them if they're going to be successful because playing the way they want to play, like they're so fast, so aggressive, so downhill that this is supposed to be the reward of doing all that is right. hitting hard, making big plays in the backfield. So if you're not doing that, then what's the benefit of playing that way when the cost of that is, you know, so maybe a few more misplayed, you know, routes to the football or over overplayed gaps and things like that. So this is supposed to be the reward of applying like that. And I think in the preseason, we saw a lot of that. So that was good. And, and in addition to that, I think the tackling collectively just the consistency was pretty good. They didn't feel it didn't feel like they were missing a lot of tackles, and that was backed up by by the numbers as well. Their missed tackle numbers were were pretty low, some of the lowest in the league. So that's that's really good to see as as a team wide thing because it kind of shows that the preparation from practice is carrying over to the games because obviously that's a a tough thing at the beginning of the season and in the preseason is the tackling. You know, getting used to that again after not doing it for so long so that's good to see the both the hard hitting and the consistency of the tackling uh which tony adams was a big part of who we were just talking about i think he impressed in those areas so so yeah i think the collective tackling was pretty good um in addition to that uh i oh one thing one thing i did like is especially in the third game against the giants on both sides of the ball is you could really see the identity of this team even offensively i know the results weren't there in that game, you know, starting offense only scored, I believe three points. They turned over twice. So, you know, you look at it, you look at it that way, then, you know, the results aren't great, but 
watching them on a play-to-play basis, the offense, like you could see what they wanted to be, you know, right. spreading the football around, two tight ends, play action, quick passing, routes over the middle, um, you know, the run game, the outside zone, I feel like it was even more outside zone heavy than last year. So yeah. it, you could really see the identity. And we know what the defense did. They were dominant, fast to the football, hitting hard, like you said. So I, I think on both sides of the ball, you could really – more so than I think any Jets team in recent memory, you could see like, okay, I know how this team wants to play, how they want to win games right. and what their strength is. So definitely, that was really cool to see on both sides. Yeah. It would have been extremely hard to describe what the Jets offensive game plan was under like Todd Bowles or even yeah, like, what, like, what was the 2018 <laughs> team? What was uh, uh, Jeremy Bates is off. It was, it was, was a that? branch of what they're trying to do now. Like it was a West coast run first type of offense. I think for me, the thing that, and we knew this before last month, but the importance of the tight end position in this offense is you can't, you can't overstate it and not to circle back, but there was one guy we forgot to mention like surprising cut. That was Cager over Wesco, which was a bit surprising. Cause now it's like, you know, with no Nick Bowden, no Trayvon Wesco's, I mean, Jeremy Ruckert's getting your fullback reps. You know, I guess it, it does signal to the thing, you know, to the point that they like what they see from Cager. They like the potential mismatch that they're going to have with him as he continues to develop. I would expect him probably to be inactive on game days to start out the year, but he's a guy to keep an eye out for. But the importance of tight end in this offense, it's going to be everything, especially if they don't have a fullback. I know Rucker might get some of those reps and they might, you know, put Conklin in there and have a motion out or whatever. Um, but it's going to be a lot of 12 personnel for this team. And they'll mix in their 10 personnel like they did last year towards the end of the year. I think you saw some success when Zach has the field spread out like that. I think it, it can be easier for him at times. We didn't get to see too much of Zach, uh, the offense with Zach at the helm. I mean, we still know what the offense will look like, but I am curious to see, you know, maybe after the injury, we won't get too much of this, but him running, like uh, going into the year, I was, I was anticipating to see a lot more of Zach Wilson on the move. Um, maybe not after this, this knee injury, but I think that is something that doesn't get talked about enough is his athletic ability. Um, so yeah, like you said, I think we, we know what this team is trying to do. Um, we'll probably touch on a lot of what we, you know, going in depth on that over these next few questions, but let's just start it off with the main question, which is the win total, which is impossible to predict. It's, it's much harder to predict back in May when the schedule comes out, but I feel like after we've had a bit of time to see, them on the field you kind of have a sense of what this team will be there's so many variables with how young this team is but michael what do you think the jets finish not only record wise but within the afc east itself which every team outside of well the bills and the dolphins have both gotten better the patriots have gotten worse does do the jets move up in the pecking order do you think they stay in the basement uh i'm right now i kind of you know alternate based on the day how optimistic i'm feeling on that particular day but I think the number that I'm settling in with is I think eight wins is my feeling right now so eight and nine um, yeah I think I'm gonna go with eight and nine I think that'll be third in the division uh, I think New England's gonna I, I you never want to say this because they always you know exceed your expectations just like they did last year but I just don't like that New England roster it does it feels like they got they got worse this offseason uh, so I think the Pats will be in last place Jets third, Dolphins second, Bills first. Uh, do you agree with that? I think, look, I think the Pats will be worse. I don't think the Pats will make the playoffs. I think the Pats will be around eight or nine wins. I think, I think, I think the Bills will obviously will win the division. I think, I almost want to be like the Jets, Pats, and Dolphins will all kind of be around the same. Here's my thinking. First, I do think the Pats will get worse. 
I mean, you look at that roster, it's pretty barren. I do think they'll be better than some people are trying to act, though. You can never count out Belichick. I think Mac Jones is a solid quarterback and exactly what they need. They still have a great O-line, O-line coach, I should say. Like, as the season goes on, that'll be a team that'll get better and will win games in November, December. They might start off the year kind of rough, but I think at the when it's all said and done, they'll win eight, nine, seven games, something around there. The Dolphins, you kind of want to say the same thing, although I will say this. Dolphins fans are acting like they've they've just won the Super Bowl with the offseason they've had. And I don't know if that you can necessarily say that. Their d- defense last year was great, but it's an aging defense. And it's a defense that was orchestrated by the head coach you just fired. And granted, they, they kept the defensive coordinator, so the system won't change that much. But that Dolphins defense is talented, but I don't think it's otherworldly when you look at it, especially the ages of the players. And look, I know Dolphins fans don't give a shit about my opinion on the team, but this is just my perspective from what I've seen from Dolphins Twitter, the amount of shit they've been talking. Then you go to the offense side of the ball. I like McDaniel. I think he's funny. I think he's self-deprecated. And I do believe that that type of coach could succeed as a head coach. Right off the bat, though, and we've seen it with not not just Michael Floor as the Jets offensive coordinator, but, you know, go, go to Kyle Shanahan, where he's been. This offensive system takes a lot to install. You really isn't operating full efficiency to start the year or in year one. Towards the end of the year, I think that offense really starts to get going. But it's a complicated offense, and I don't really believe in Tua. I don't believe they necessarily have the off- the offensive line, and especially the tight ends to make right. this yep. that offense work. Mike Isicki is a receiver, and you look at that tight end depth chart, it's like the Jets last year, and you see how much that affects it. And so Mike McDaniel is going to have to adjust. Now, Mike LaFleur, the Jets offense creator, was the – 49ers passing coordinator and I think it was maybe more of a natural progression for him to say you know let's go more 10 personnel let's spread it out for Zach not that the Dolphins can't do that not that Mike McDaniel doesn't know how to do that but he's the run game coordinator and in San Francisco that running attack was built around Kyle Juszczyk and George Kittle and they do not have that in Miami so not to get off on a whole tangent but I don't know I don't I don't I'm not necessarily buying the Dolphins hype Tyreek no, I, I, I agree with you I don't know yeah, but to get I mean to the, 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 like I, I respect quickly on the dolphins i mean like I, I respect their top end talent that's what they have that i think the jets are lacking and need to get to really get to well, that next level i don't know if the um, jets are lacking it i just think it's not as proven maybe but oh yeah yeah not dolphins lacking, have tyree like, kill the, the dolphins have, tyree hasn't kill been proven kill. yet like you said but you know like tyree kill Teron armstead um armstead Jalen waddle could be armstead um, is is waddle that much more impressive than elijah moore last year Okay, I, I'm I'm not being pro dolphins here. Like I'm just I'm just trying to. <laughs> I'm you know, in my bag right now. Preface it by saying like I'm not saying it's a terrible team, but I agree with all the concerns you laid out. Um, I think this is a team that's pretty firmly in that seven to nine range. Right. So here's my prediction. You want to hear a bold one? Okay. Dolphins seven wins, Patriots eight wins, Jets nine wins. Am I crazy? Am I drinking okay. the Kool Aid? Okay. I'm saying Jets go nine and eight. Why not? Why not? I, I think year? all these teams are kind of in the same tier, like you said. You know, the Bills are up there. They're an elite team. But other three teams, I think it, it's fair to kind of put them in the same group. Look, the the optimistic predictions in this podcast can get watered down because we're a glass, glass half full type of pod. Yeah. But this is a year when you look at this despite team. Despite the name. Despite, this, the name. <laughs> despite the name. It's really, yeah, it's it's honestly being facetious. But no, I'm just kidding. We're, we're You're the measured one. I'm not. I just think that when you look at this team, and, and the process that they've had this offseason, I really do buy into Robert Stahl. I think they can win nine games. There's no reason they can't. I'll put it that way. The toughest thing about this year will be the schedule to open it up. But it's like like you mentioned, Jacoby Brissett-Browns, that's a winnable game. Mitch Trubisky-Sealers, that's a winnable game. I mean, that's two right off the bat. Then you have that, you know, you have to play the Dolphins at home. 
I think that next few games where it's like the Packers who are coming right off London is tough. The Broncos in Denver is tough. Um, but the Patriots is a winning winnable game after the bye, you get all those games of like the Jaguars and the Seahawks and the lions and the bears. Like I think the jets can get to that nine win uh, ballpark. Maybe that's a little high. Maybe there'll be more in the seven, eight category, but you know what? I'm putting my money where my mouth is this, this off season. We've been so optimistic that I'm buying in way more. I'm more confident in this prediction than any other 2019, 2020, 2021, which isn't saying much, but all those years I wasn't saying, I don't think, I think I predicted like, seven eight wins seven wins and then seven wins last year so this is this is a little higher either way i'm going nine wins so we'll see if if i'm crazy offensive mvp michael we just did we did an offensive mvp and a defensive mvp to split it up Um, we'll ignore team mvp for now it seems like elijah moore should be the favorite here do do you think that that's where we're going here yeah i I think he gets my vote but i guess if we had to bring up some different candidates who else would you bring up well, the running backs, I mean, it'd be hard to pick one, but I could see if Brees Hall is what we thought he was in college. Granted, we didn't necessarily see that in the preseason. I thought he had some nice runs. Doesn't mean he's going to be a bust. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it wasn't like he had a dominating preseason. Um, he had some some great plays, and it's not really indicative of who he is as a player, especially considering the blocking that he was playing behind. But it wasn't like I saw enough in the preseason to be like, wow, Brees Hall is going for 1,500 yards this season. So I think it's, it'll be Elijah Moore, but Hall's a contender. Tyler Conklin is a contender. I mean, I think those are probably, I mean, Zach Wilson, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I feel like those are maybe the favorites ahead of like the Garrett Wilsons and the Barrioses and Davis and Michael Carter. Yeah, I agree on Conklin. I could see him being a contender for this. Not, not in the sense that he has any chance to be their best statistical producer, but if you combine that with, if he can have a really good blocking season, then I could see, you know, putting those two things together and being like, you know, he's kind of the most valuable player in his importance to the offense running the way it's supposed to be run. I I could see that case being made if he has a, you know, peak ceiling to the best of his potential, but I think it's going to be Elijah Moore. I'm I'm very confident what he's going to do. Uh, I agree. I think it'll be Elijah Moore. Um, I don't think we need much more rationalization there. Um, Defensively, this one's a little more interesting. There's a lot. I think there's more contenders here going through some of the obvious ones. Carl Lawson is in this comeback year. If he's the pass rusher that we think he is, he could be in for a 10 plus sack season and that could easily make him the MVP. Quinton Williams has been a ton of buzz this offseason about the shape he's in and the, the productions he's had in training camp. Robert Sala can't keep you know praising him enough. He's definitely in contention here. Got the rookie sauce Gardner. There's been a lot of buzz about Jordan Whitehead. JFM, Mosley. I mean, who, who are you feeling for the, for this one? Yeah, definitely a lot more contenders for this one. Um, I think, you know, when I was just running through in my head right now, kind of considering the options, the thing that stood out the most to me was who's going to help in both phases. And when I think about it that way, I think Quinton Williams is the guy who stands out to me. Um, I think he more so than anyone else has the ability to affect both the run and the pass on this defense. So I think if he plays up to his ceiling, he has the best two-way potential of, of anyone on this defense. So I, I think he is going to play up to his ceiling. I think with the edge help that the Jets have now, he's going to get a lot more room to work with just naturally with those guys winning out there. He's going to have more space. Um, and then in the run game, he's going to have a lot on his plate to really carry this interior group. And I think he's, he's going to be up to that. So I'm going to go with Quinn and Williams, but, Carl Lawson is probably a close second for me. 
don't want to cop you, but I was I was feeling Quinnen as well before you said it. Uh, yeah, I I do think that Quinnen's Quinnen's going to be the the defensive MVP this year. I think he's really primed to have that that season we've been waiting for since he's come in here. Like you said, though, I mean this defensive line it it really is in many ways one position. They all kind of operate as one unit, and the way Robert Sala was talking about it today is just like you feel pretty confident that on third downs, at least one of them is going to win. And it's like, if Quinn Williams is having a dominated season, it's going to be hard to double team him. If he still have to block Carl Lawson or JFM, I'm feeling that Quinn Williams would be the MVP, but maybe, you know, you'd expect a guy like Carl Lawson to have more sacks and some other guys to benefit off of it. But I think at the heart of this Jets defensive line is going to be the interior pressure from Quinn Williams. So I know we've agreed on both of them so far, um, but you know, I, I feel like those are, are two pretty good answers there. All right, rookie of the year. Uh, I know we're probably going to agree on this one as well. It's hard not to say sauce based on what we saw in the preseason. The expectations are extremely high. Garrett Wilson, I'm extremely high on as well. But, you know, what point does he really work himself into the offense? Will it be like last year where, you know, Michael Carter started the year as like, I think the third down running back. And then he had he week two, he played a lot more against the Patriots and he had some nice plays. And then I think he started week three. Like, <laughs> so then it's like, is that the case with Garrett Wilson where it's like by week three or week four, he's starting over Corey Davis, or are we going to get to the point where it's like Davis is still playing well. He's a starter opposite more Barris is a starter in the slot and Garrett Wilson's is working his way in. So that's kind of preventing me from picking him. Plus I'm more confident in this, in the defense and the offense. Um, it's like Jermaine Johnson is, Still, maybe more of a developmental project. Hall is in there. I mean, Clemens is the fan favorite. Who, who is it? Sauce? Is, are we going to go three for three in these these MVP predictions or superlative I, predictions? I think we're going to be off for the first time. Oh, here. I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Brees Hall here. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think you know Sauce will have a good rookie year, but I I see Brees Hall having you know rookie running backs. I think are in a better position to succeed than that's corners. True. I think that's especially, just, especially with Sauce's schedule. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's the basis of it. I think Sauce will, I think he's going to be a good starting corner, like maybe a top 25 to 20 sort of range, which is a great okay. place to be as a rookie. Um, whereas Brees Hall, I think I, he's, I see him sort of taking the share of the load within the first few weeks of the season. I think by the time October rolls around, it'll be, probably 60, 65% Hall in the backfield versus Carter. And I think from there, he's going to be efficient running the ball, catching the ball. And by the end of the year, he's going to put up numbers to where it's hard to deny him as the rookie of the year. But going forward, I think Sauce will be the best player in this class in the most impactful considering position. But uh, rookie of the year, I think I think Hall is going to have a great season to where you can't really deny that it's him. Whereas Gardner will have some ups and downs with just being a rookie corner against a tough schedule. You make a convincing pitch. I'm not going to change the answer because I'd rather not go three for three in these in these predictions. But yeah, I think it probably will be easier for Brees Hall to have the better production. Um, that's for sure. I, I you know the Becton injury is such a bummer because with Becton on this offensive line, I really think that. I really thought that the the it was hard to get a sense of the run blocking in the preseason. They haven't had as much time to work together. They really haven't had any time as a unit to really work together. The blocking was a bit spotty, but is, we haven't seen the starting five that much. Um, but with Becton, you just knew that at the very least, that guy can get you a few yards if you run behind him. Um, yeah, for sure. I, still, I, I have I, to say, though, Dwayne Brown looked pretty good. Did, no, no, no. Dwayne played. Brown definitely looked good, but it's like, how does Fan play at right tackle? Right. Does a, How does AVT look at right guard? Is, is McGovern still a bum? I mean, like, there are some questions with this offensive line. McGovern not, is not a bum. 
I, sorry, I should say he's a bum. He's a jag. He's a jag. You think, That's fair. I think he's a jag. He's not a bum. That's fair. We've had Spencer Long snap for this team. We've had, I don't even want Jonathan Harrison. So you're right. He's not a bum, but he's a jag. Um, but I still think this rushing offense will be effective. Uh, I just think that Sauce Gardner, to me, displays that ceiling where I think by the end of his rookie year, hopefully, uh, and the way I see things playing out, you can say, yeah, this guy is going to be one of the top corners in the league in a year. I think that's, yeah, I think you feel the way about Sauce Gardner that the way you feel about Elijah Moore right now, if you don't already. Um, His traits are too unique and too rare and his production has been too great. Uh, and I feel like I buy into his mindset. I, this, there's too much there for me to not really be excited about Sauce Gardner's potential in this defense, especially uh, the, the type of defense that they play and the way that they man up on third down. And I think that the style where they play, where it's like they might give up some yards, like you said, Sauce Gardner might have some games where it's like, you know, he gives up a big touchdown to Jamar Chase or I mean, he has a tough schedule ahead of him. Um, but this defense is, is built to win on third down get sacks, create turnovers. And I think Sauce Gardner will be the beneficiary of that with, with maybe a few interceptions of his own. He didn't have too many in training camp. I don't know if he was, I don't think he was the main ball hawk out there, but I think he is certainly has that potential. Um, but he didn't get thrown at at all in, in preseason. So maybe not, but either way, I think, I think Sauce is by the end of the year, you're going to be pretty comfortable saying that he's, he's their best rookie. So I'll, I'll go with him on that, but I wouldn't be surprised if Hall has more production. All right. Biggest surprise on the team. You know, like I, I'm trying to think of an example from last year, who'd be the biggest, um off the top of my i mean maybe barrios i guess barrios yeah probably barrios that's a good that's a good pick i think barrios especially the production in, in december i was gonna say maybe quincy williams <laughs> in terms of like just claimed off waiver wire to starting linebacker and made some plays no. but i know he didn't well i'm not saying that he <laughs> surprised i mean from where he was claimed to being the starter this year i mean that's a pretty big surprise you can't completely discount him. but i think i think barrios is probably the pick there but who do you think it'll be for this year I'm running through the roster right now, trying to think of someone. Because, uh, you know, if they're a surprise, I guess it would catch me by surprise right now, just thinking about it. So it, it wouldn't be that surprising if I came up with it immediately. I'm just trying to stall right now. I got it. I got it. You Do you have one? You? Do you have one? No, not at all. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, kind of like you in the sense that we wrote these down. and then we Actually, went, you know what? I, I have a good one. I have a good one. Yeah, go ahead. This is a guy who I probably wouldn't pick prior to the preseason, but I thought his preseason play is pretty good and now puts him on on the map to be a surprise player. How about Jamie and Sherwood? Mm, interesting, interesting pick. Now, could you, what type of season do you see him having? Do you see him overtaking, like, do you see a Mosley, Quan, Quincy injury going in and then Sherwood has to get more reps, or do you think Sherwood yeah, just proves himself? I mean, I mean, I think, you know, I feel like there's a path to a starting spot there for him. Obviously, Mosley's locked in there. But after that, I think, you know, Quincy shaky, has, has had a shaky career, shaky season last year, not the best preseason. Quan is, you know, I would like to see him playing next to Mosley right now. Still a good player, but uh, they didn't pay him a lot of money, so there's not a ton of investment there. Um, so I think Sherwood can impress. You know, injuries happen. Bad play happens he does have a path to to get up there. So I think um, he's going to get his special team snaps. He is going to get some occasional snaps defensively. If he can make the most of those, maybe he finds his way into the starting lineup by the end of the year and plays pretty well. So uh, I think he was a pretty decent pick for this. I can't tell if this is a pro. I, you know, I, I still, I still think you, you label this one as a surprise after the preseason and training camp hype he has, it's not maybe as big of a surprise, but I'm going to say Michael Clements, because I think that he's going to have a great year. I think he's going to have a better year than Jermaine Johnson, which 
you know, it maybe okay. isn't that bold after the, the training camp that we saw. Um, but I think Clemens is getting meaningful snaps in the regular season throughout the year. I think he's just too much of a freak and plays with too much energy and size and speed and talent. And he was winning too much in the preseason not to throw him out there. And I know he was going up against backups, but I still think that he maintains um, a high level of production. I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, I almost said OCU Manura. I think that was just because he wore, wore 72 um, <laughs> or Michael Bennett. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be, uh, you know, a TJ Watt level player year one, or even that'll even hit that ceiling, but the Jets will play. The Jets essentially have eight defensive line starters. And I think Clemens is an integral part of that, being able to play inside at three tech, being able to play defensive end. You can play him on first downs against the run. You can put him in on third downs. I just think he's a guy that they're, the Jets will utilize. And I think he'll, I think he's less maybe, I, it's hard to just say this off one preseason, but I think he might be less of a, of a developmental player than Jermaine Johnson because he's older. Um, that might be just, he's 25. Maybe he should be more developed than Jermaine Johnson. I think Johnson should ultimately develop into hopefully the better player. But right now I think Clemens outplays him and has a, is a damn good year, which would be a surprise at the beginning of training camp. Maybe not as big of a surprise now, but I don't know. I'm thinking like, thinking like a seven sack season for him like that's like you know that's a, that would be really? a surprise wow. yeah i kind of feel like a big okay. maybe that's a lot six maybe six sacks i mean i don't want to get too we're talking surprise here so all right it's okay. I, I see it maybe seven's a little high maybe five six i just see a good season for michael clemens ahead of him i think i think this is not a guy who's just going to shine the preseason and not play at all um he might not play as much at the beginning of the year but i think by the end 17 games you can get six sacks i'll, I'll put it at six right now i don't, I don't be too too egregious here um, especially since like how uh, many throw, to throw in one more, uh, sorry to cut you yeah. off, but Tony Adams, I think you got to put him in there. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, that's true. How much, what was the, I was about to say, cause I, seven sounded egregious, but didn't like Jordan Jenkins have like, I know he played pretty much every snap, but like, I'm looking it up real quick. Didn't Jordan Jenkins have like a season where he had, yeah, he had seven sacks and 18 and eight sacks and 19. So it's not like absurd for Clemens to have. And that's at sacks. the age Clemens is right now too. So yeah, that's true. Uh, and yeah, and this defense fits his strengths perfectly. I don't know. I go back and watch a Giants game. Him running down those quarterbacks was terrifying. I mean, it was like that all preseason. But he is know. a guy who I could see getting good stats because of his ability to, to chase down plays like that. Yeah, like like you don't forcing, see a lot of guys fumbles. his size who just look at that Tyrod play. The way he just doesn't stop going full speed. The way he's chasing yeah. it down most guys, you know, will chase him just to get you know, the pressure and then they kind of trail off, but this guy doesn't stop. He's going to get some sacks and some forced fumbles and quarterback hits uh, playing that way. Yeah. I saw, I'm buying into the, to the regular season translation for him and that length that he has, like, that's just, yeah. I, I really love how the jets prioritize length because I really do think that leads to a lot of big plays, whether it's like batting balls at the line of scrimmage, forcing fumbles with your long arms, or even just creating separation between you and the offensive tackle. And that a lot of times that leads to, you know, tackles for losses and sacks. So right. uh, I really think that, that he's going to have a, a big year and a guy that we're going to be super excited about uh, by the end of it. All right. Biggest letdown. There's a, there's a few in my head that you could, we could go with here, but I, I'm curious to see who you go. I think I, I think I know who you're going to say because you've been saying it since March. <laughs> so you might not jump off the bandwagon yet. Is it CJ Uzama? That's the guy that it seems like to me that you're not as high on as maybe other people. Are. I, maybe I, I guess so. Just, I think, I just feel like maybe at this point, like fans have kind of accepted and seen that. I don't know about that. Know, Conklin, <laughs> are, are there a lot of fans out there? Who well, I still not... think Uzama's number one. No, 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 no. I feel like it's become clear. Like Conklin. No, no, no. I'm not, 
Well, that's for sure. But that wouldn't be a letdown if, if Conklin's number one and Uzama's still, you know, getting his his opportunities as a blocker, as a yak guy, scoring touchdowns, you know, like Jets are going to play two tight end sets. I'm saying, do you think he's going to underperform in that role, especially for the money that they're paying him? Yeah, I mean, I think that <laughs> that's a given. His blocking has to be good. I think that's really what's going to determine this because the I don't think the numbers are going to be there. He's probably going to keep putting up but he about what he has which is you know 400 500 yards maybe three to four touchdowns which is okay but you know it's not close to what you would expect for that contract but if he can block really well in addition to that then i think you could see it so i think that is what it's going to come down to but i do have another one here that i've i've kind of thought okay. actually actually two two free agents and i'm not predicting that they're oh. going to be let down Wait, are we predicting they're going to be let downs or am i just bringing up options yeah. It's kind of a prediction, but I'd like to hear all the options because it's, it's not like the prediction. Okay, so I guess I'll so. – this doesn't – all right, I guess it is a prediction, but it doesn't mean I'm wishing for it to happen, obviously. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> Hopefully <okay>. not. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to go with mm, – I don't know if I want to say it. Oh, it, Jesus Christ, just get this, it out. What? This one's, this one's less about logic and more just about gut. DJ Reed, just because the lingering issue with the well, hands. That's a bit of a waffle throughout the off season it just feels like the kind of thing that precedes a season that you know has a lot of injuries and just never really materializes the way you want it to and he there is also the question of you know breakout season last year will he maintain it those are the question marks but i think he's i do think he'll you know stay healthy and have a good season but there, there are some <laughs> hedging for, back there yeah, I'm head, I, I get it head. because you, you've been very high on DJ Reed since they signed. Yeah, him. for sure. The point to the point where I think at the beginning of training camp, he was the guy to say he's going to have the best season of the free agents. But I get what you mean, where it's like when a guy battles a hamstring all training camp, how many times does he come into the year and just dominate? Like it happens, I guess. Sorry, it happens, I guess. But it's just like uh, I don't know. Like how healthy is that hamstring if it's still bothering him after a month? And also, it's the, it's very classic Jets for them to be like after the the first. I think he was injured for one day. It's like, oh, this is minor. He'll be back in a few days. And it's like, here we are a month later. I, he did come back for a little bit. And I guess he aggravated it. And we'll see if he plays week one. But I think I think that's you know, a letdown has to be a letdown. And that yeah, would be one, I, I think so. I think that's what I was just gonna say. It's like for it to be a letdown, like there has to be expectations there. And right, you know, for him there are expectations. I I have high expectations because I think he's a really good cover corner and, and a good run defending corner. So I'm very excited to watch him play when he's healthy, but just reading the signs, there are some, you know, warning flags there. I'm really struggling with who to go with for this one. I mean, we've laid out Uzama. I think Reed is a, is a smart pick. I'm trying to think if there's anybody, I mean, like the answer that you could go with here. And I'm not, again, like you said, it would be like Zach, but for my, I think my expectations might be, well, we're going to get to him in a second, I guess. Do we? Yeah, he's in there in terms of our expectations for his season. I don't, I don't know if, but I don't think, I mean, I don't think he's going to be a letdown by the end of the year, though. I just feel like maybe his stats won't be like, I don't think he's going to have that like Josh Allen, otherworldly leap, who, by the way, didn't really take it till year three anyway. But um, like, I, I still think that league wide Zach Wilson will still be, I think people will be more confident about him and people will be high on him, but it won't be like a sure thing. Zach Wilson is Jets franchise quarterback going into year three. I think it'll be going into year three. Okay. He had a much better second year, similar to how, like, I think he'll be better than Darnold in 2019, but you could see that Darnold did get better from 2018 overall. And going into year three, I think you were high on Darnold, but it was still like, you know, he has to prove it this year. And I think it'll be something similar. Although I do think he'll play better than Darnold. 
Do, do you agree with that? Do you think like, is that a letdown? Is it a letdown if he has like 23 touchdowns and uh, you know, I don't want to just start arbitrarily picking stats, but you know what I mean? The type of season where it's like, all right, he played yeah. well, but he didn't have like, you know, an amazing season, you know, like, how, how do you feel about yeah. that? that fair? I, I mean, it, definitely one, when it's all said and done, we're going to have to evaluate it beyond the stats because, you know, there are always right. lies within the stats, but I do think what separates Zach this year from Darnold in his second year is the fact that the supporting cast is a lot better. So with Darnold, you understood there would be statistical limitations because of the O-line, because of the receivers, the run game, the coaching, all that stuff. But with Zach, this is a, a situation where you would think that it would more so trend the other way in terms of the supporting cast should be helping his numbers, you know, with the completions that should be generated for him on these rollouts on these, you know, on these plays where, you know, he should be able to get more production because of what's around him rather than less, or at worst, you know, just be in the middle where it's not really hurting him or helping him. So that's what I would think would happen, but it's not necessarily guaranteed to play out that way. So We'll have to, you know, circle back at the end of the season right. and see is does do the numbers match up with, with right. what his film shows. But um it, yeah. It, yeah, and I predicted him to win nine games. So if they win nine games, it's gonna be pretty hard for Zach Wilson to have a left. Most likely. Yeah. So uh yeah, and I don't want to just start randomly throwing other just stuff like, oh, this guy could suck. Um, I guess the last thing I would put would be a unit, and that'd be the offensive line. I think the offensive line has the potential to maybe be a bit of a letdown. I'm not I don't think they're gonna be bad, but I think when Beckton was healthy and they brought in Lake and Tomlinson and fan was playing left tackle, there was a swell where it was like, they could push into the top 10 this year. You know, they, they have a legitimately very good offensive line. When you look around the league, I still think that that could be the case. I still think the jets, you know, they might be even better with Dwayne Brown, who knows, but I think that is, there's more variables there than I think we're, we're kind of counting the offensive line as good already where it's like, we don't know how IVT will develop, especially at right guard. We don't know how George fan will be a right tackle. Who knows which Connor McGovern we're getting on every snap. Lake and Tomlinson is, is good, but he, you know, he's had a lot of good few years in San Francisco, but it's not like he's lit the world on fire every single year he's been in the league. And Dwayne Brown is pushing for it. So, you know, there are question marks on that, that unit. I still think they'll have a good year, but it's a one to keep an eye on for. I think in terms of letdown, I'll pick Uzama. It seems like, you know, I don't know who you're picking there exactly, but those are some options, I guess. Um, I guess Reed, Reed would be my pick. All right. um, upset win. This is biggest win at the upset. So last year, I mean, when the season concluded, it would probably be the Bengals. But looking at the schedule, it would have been the Titans, probably. I mean, one seed, I mean, beating the Titans. I did not think the Jets were going to win that game. So that would have been the biggest upset. They have a, they have an upset. They were a little game. banged up. The Bengals were healthier. So I yeah, no, in, in retrospect, the Bengals is the bigger win. But on the, on the outside of the season. Oh, yeah. Have, yeah, like, yeah. It would have been the Titans looking at that schedule as the game. You'd have been like, oh, they're not going to win that one. Like, I predicted that as a loss the week of the game, which, you know get me talking about this team on a podcast it's hard for me not to be like i think they could win but that one i was like i don't think they'll win and then they won so uh what's what's the big could it could it be this weekend michael could it be the ravens uh actually i i got a good one okay i'm i'm gonna go with week six at green bay i think i think there's a better shot i think they have a better shot in this game than a lot of people realize there are some matchups they can win you look at green bay's receivers not the best receiver group. And if this secondary is as advertised, if DJ Reed is not the letdown, like I just predicted, <laughs> um, if, if that cornerback group is what it can be against those Packers receivers, you know, it's a, a matchup they can win right there. Maybe keep that offense in check on the road. 
which is always key. And then the Packers run defense last year was not too great. So that is also something that the Jets can exploit. So those two things, I think, level playing field a little bit. Not to mention, I thought you might throw this in there as well, because I thought about Green Bay. I think it's a good, I think it's a great pick. Uh, they're coming off of a game in London with no buy the week before. They're playing the right. Giants, so maybe maybe they just walk through the Giants and it's not a big deal. But the time travel and you know they're at home, so it's a little different than having to go back to back on the road. But you know, some teams get jet lagged. The one thing I will say about that game that I don't think the Jets. Will, the reason I, it's hard for me to pick that is Matt Lafleur, who is Robert Sala's one of his best friends. The, the game that Sala missed with COVID, he literally was watching the game on Zoom with Matt LaFleur, the Jets-Jags game together, who's Mike LaFleur's brother, the offensive coordinator. It's hard for me to imagine that when the Jets were struggling last year, even this offseason, like that Mike LaFleur or Robert Sala hasn't kind of talked about the Jets with Matt LaFleur. And it got his, his input on Zach and on this offense and what they're trying to do. And obviously LaFleur has a great understanding of this team and what Robert Sala wants to do and what Mike LaFleur wants to do. I mean, it's his best friend and his brother. And the Packers on paper are a more proven team. It's possible the Jets, like you said, it's like there are weaknesses on that Green Bay squad. But it's like with the amount of knowledge that Matt LaFleur has on this team, I think it benefits him far more than the the amount of knowledge that Sala and Mike LaFleur might have on Matt LaFleur. I know it works both ways. It just kind of feels like it's more likely that LaFleur has been more helpful to the Jets than Sala or Mike LaFleur has been helpful to him. I mean, is that do you think that's something to read into? Like the the amount of – you know, times that maybe they've consulted with Matt LaFleur, the, the knowledge that he has on Zach and the schemes? Uh, I, I mean, a little bit, I guess so. Like a little bit. At least I, yeah. They watch the game together on Zoom. I mean, like that's, I don't know. They're basically watching film together. And you don't think Solid's explaining like, oh, on that play they're trying to, I don't know. I don't know. It, they, the they've point, known the point you made though about London though, I, I forgot about that. You yeah. brought that up to me a few weeks ago. That, that's a great point. That just adds to, to what I'm saying. So I, I think Packers is definitely maybe the surprise win in here. Yeah. I I'm tempted to say the Ravens. I we'll get, we'll go to that game more on Friday. I'll have a, maybe I'll have a better feeling. I'm tempted to say the Ravens. Cause I do think the jets have a good game here on Sunday, but my answer is going to be the Bengals week three. I think they beat them twice. <laughs> I think they beat them two okay. years in a row. I think Zach will be back. It'll be Zach's home debut. Uh, I think, I think there'll be one and one going to that game. And it's kind of a, it's a big game for the team. Do you go one and two or do you go two and one? And not to say that's like for certain, they could be 0-2 or they could be 2-0, but I just feel like that's that week three is a big week in my eyes. Like it, it really does, the difference between doing 0-3 and 1-2 and or 2-1, and or it's like it really does shift the narrative of the season by week three. And I just feel like the Jets and Bengals match up extremely well together. This is a more talented Jets team. The Bengals certainly struggled with the Jets last year. I feel like the losing team in the Super Bowl always has a, a bit of a hangover, especially at the start of the season. So I'll say the Bengals. I think the Jets beat the Bengals week three. I like that. You feel good about that one? Hmm? Yeah, no, I think that's a great pick. This is definitely a game that I think for the most part, people are expecting the Jets to, uh, I wouldn't say for the most part, expecting them to lose, but it, it's definitely a tough game. So, and especially with the Bengals having lost to the Jets last year, maybe you feel like they'll balance it out. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's a good pick. All right, uh, last one of the superlatives, and then we have some over-unders, and we'll, we'll speed it up to, to get out of here. Well, you know, I, I said that a few weeks ago, and then somebody commented, like, you know, why are we rushing through this here? I mean, so I guess I don't have to speed it up that fast. But last one of the superlatives was uh, uh, practice squad MVP, which is probably the least important of all the superlatives. But like I said, like with the new rules, like these guys will play. I mean, this is the depth of your roster. You can put veterans on this 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 part of the team. 
who are you thinking for practice squad MVP? Who's the guy that comes up and, and fulfills a, a meaningful role? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go with my man, Tanzel smart. Really? I could definitely see him, whether it's injuries or just poor performance, see him coming up and finding a niche in the run game. Yeah. I think that that is a good pick in the sense that like that Solomon Thomas, Sheldon Rankins, Nathan Shepard trio, like really might leave a lot to be desired. Yeah. And, and yeah. it could be like, you know what, let's give Marshall or smart a, a shot on this, on this roster. Um, that's a good pick. I, I was leaning towards going with, with Will Parks because I think he's the best player or the most proven player on this, this roster. He played well at the end of last year. He's really bought into Robert Sala. Uh, just, you know, you can tell from the way he tweets about this team and, and what we're building here. Uh, for the reasons I mentioned earlier, where I do think the plan with Parks is that if there's an injury, he's the guy you bring up. And I think he gets snaps over Davis. Obviously, it seems like Adams is, is safety number three, but I, I could see Parks, if there's an injury to Joyner, Whitehead, both of whom have had, who had injury struggles, I think Parks ends up playing and I think he plays at a, as a, at a high level. So uh, that's my practice squad MVP, but I think Smart is a great pick or Marshall as well. Um, all right, here's some over-unders. Those, that's it for the superlatives. Uh, some interesting stuff there. Over-under, Carl Lawson, eight and a half sacks. What are you going with? I'm going to go under i'm gonna say eight eight flat i'm gonna say eight flat eight flat now what would now i should know this off the top of my head but carl lawson what his what's the most sacks he's had in the season before i think that was the most i think his second year he had eight he had eight he had exactly eight and a half uh his rookie year 2017 unless he was drafted oh there you go well 17 2017 yeah yeah, rookie year eight yeah and then he's had five five and a half and some other years i guess you're right he hasn't he's been more of a yeah I, I mean i don't know the ceiling is high because of the talent that's around him but he for whatever reason he just hasn't proven yet that he's a big sack guy finisher so yeah right and he which i guess there is some evidence to that his arm length is pretty short so maybe it's just something that you know is part of his game um but i think eight is a good number if eight comes with very high pressure and hit totals that's still a great season. Yeah, I think he, like, you know, I was talking about Quinn and Williams setting up other guys in this defensive line. Carl's is a guy who definitely does that with, with the pressure. He forces quarterbacks to step up or move away from him, and that leads oftentimes to sacks. So I guess I, I'm, it's hard for me to be on the Monday before week one to not be, like, over. Uh, I think Carl's a big – I do think Carl gets over on this, though. I I'm going to try to temper my expectations on a lot of these, but I think Carl Lawson hits nine sacks. I think Carl Lawson hits 10 sacks, but I don't know. I think the comeback year, him coming back off that Achilles after the training camp he was having, I think he's extra motivated. It's the perfect system for him. I like that. He's going to be fresh, that they're not going to overplay him. They have the depth for him to come and be, you know, go full blast on those big third downs. And he's certainly going to have a lot of pressures. I'll say over on that. All right, Quinton Williams over under seven and a half sacks, who I don't think – what was the most sacks Quinton's had? Again, seven, I think seven. Should have done research. Uh, Quinton, Quinton Williams' stats, yeah, it didn't give me the – hold on. Yep, seven in 2020. <laughs> nice, okay, seven in 2020. So do you think he passes and that? And that, that was in 13 games also. Again, kind of hard not to say over. What, what, are, you, what are you thinking? I'm, I'm going to go over here. I think he's right, going to go. match Lawson with – Eight. I can see him getting nine. I think I think he's going to have a good season. I think so he's I'm going to go over here. I think he has a great season as well. It's I I don't know if I think he hits over on that. But again, like Carl, it's like he could still have a great season and not hit over that amount. But I think both right. those guys have have great years. 
Um, I'm going to try not to be optimistic on all of these though, but it'll be hard. All right. Most sacks by anyone who is not Lawson Williams or JFM. So you got Clemens, Jermaine Johnson, Jacob Martin, Bryce Huff, Sheldon Rankins. Well, who, who's the answer to this last year? Was it Rankins? You want to look that one up? <laughs> uh, I'm going to look it up. Okay. You're a little that faster. More the, the stats. It was, it was Rankins. He had three. Oh, he had, which is pretty bad. Hopefully we're above that this year. I think, I think they should be. I think this defensive line is much improved, obviously, but I, I think the production is going to be a lot higher. I'm, I'm going to go with Martin. He's been a pretty consistent, like, Three and a half. Ah, maybe maybe mm. he's a little bit low. He had four last year. I don't, think, I don't a, think it's Martin. Does, I don't think doesn't a bigger role than he'll play this year. Uh, Not Lawson Williams, JFM. Well, based off my prediction, that would be Michael Clemens. So I'll stick by it. I'm going to say Clemens gets the most sacks. I think Clemens has more sacks than Johnson. I think Huff and Martin have about the same, where they're getting around four sacks. Three, you know, Huff yeah. might have three sacks. I'm like, I think they're going to be under five low i mean you have to think about how many sacks can there be to go around i think the jets will have a lot of sacks this year and be uh, when you look at the uh, this is another one we can do it right now i guess team sack ranking you put at eight and a half it's like i think they'll be above that i think they're going to be top five in sacks this year i think this defensive line is going to feast uh, i'm not uh, they might lose some games but they still they're going to get their sacks so um i'll say Clemens. Solomon, Solomon thomas had three and a half last year there, there's, there are a lot of guys in the mix here. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of thinking about Johnson just because I feel like, uh, even if Clemens might have the better season, I think Johnson really has, can be a big hustle sack kind of guy just with his speed, um, and his length. I think he can clean up a lot of sacks, so I could see it being him, and I think he'll get the playing time to get some sacks too. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna go with Johnson. But all these guys are going to be really close. You think after that top three? I think. Clemens? You think Johnson outperformed Clemens? In turn, in terms of sacks and sacks. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Mm, I'm going. I mean, I guess, I guess that is the should be the conventional wisdom considering he's a first round pick. But I don't know. I think, I think he's more raw than Clemens is. Yeah, that is this, just is, this is a really him. hard one. Yeah, yeah, it's close. All right, um, Zach Wilson over under 25 and a half passing touchdowns, which based off last year is a little high, but uh, I guess 25 and a half. It's like, does he have a great year or does he have a good year? Or I mean, you could go under and he could have a, a poor year, but 25 and a half, a little high for our guy. I'm gonna say under on this one. I think, I think he's right around 23. If you, if you go total touchdowns, I think he might be over because I think he's gonna get some rushing ones, even on the, the, the knee. Um, I think he's around. 22 21 23 touchdown passes how about you yeah i agree i think like 23 24 is where he goes i just pulled up the, the leaderboard right now uh so last year if you had 25 and a half that would be in between 10th and 11th 10th was yeah. 27 11th was 25 so yeah i think probably that you know 23 24 range 12th 13th in the league somewhere around there this is if he plays you know say 16 games yeah yeah that's true he's missing a game yeah it'll be low 20s i think it might yeah uh elijah moore seven and a half touchdowns over under if, if, go, we, go, go ahead yeah go ahead you go uh, ahead okay i was gonna say the type of season elijah moore I, I think will have lends me to want to say over but if we're gonna only see zach wilson gets 22 touchdown passes 23 touchdown passes do you think he's going to get a third, basically a third of, of his touchdowns? Plus whatever Flacco does week one, assuming he, he starts. I don't know. It's tough. I, I want to give him the over, but. Yeah, the touchdown is a little harder for him than if we put yards, yards or something. Because yeah, I think he'll 
he'll go well over a thousand pretty easily. Maybe catch like 70, 80 passes. I'm gonna go under. Touchdowns yeah. is a little tougher, especially if we're not like you said, not gonna be optimistic about the passing touchdown. So yeah, I'll go under, I think six or seven, but I, I could see him getting eight or nine. Yeah, I th- I think right around seven is is because like especially like bubble screens, and I think he'll break one. He might have a few deep, but it's like once you get into the red zone. Well, but then again, you have those little little option routes, those little routes to the flats, those quick outs. I, I shouldn't say that he's not a red zone threat because with his route running, he's always a threat. So I'll go under though, just but I think his yards will be pretty high. All right, Tyler Conklin over under seven hundred receiving yards. Well, this is pretty ambitious for him because it's well beyond his career high last year, and he's competing with Uzama. But, that's a little high we should we should have set that lower because how many yards yeah, we think how, how about six yeah yeah that's, that's true last year conklin at 593 so should we maybe say 600 well i can see why you did 700 i didn't know he had 593 last year well that seems pretty high um i guess 700 is not out of the, if he did 593 last year in minnesota this year in this system i guess kirk cousins throws more touchdowns or more yards i don't know I think it, he'll be maybe like 650 is about where yeah. I think he'll be. Yeah, 600 is kind of what I'm seeing for him. So I guess under 700, but over 600 is, is where we fall. Yeah. All right, Garrett Wilson over under 600 yards. Receiving yards is, you know, I well, I'll let you go first on this one. Yeah, this is where it gets tough because like I, I did a receiving yardage prediction breakdown a few weeks ago and as you go through it and you start putting all these numbers together, you're like, someone has to take a cut here for this to be realistic. And I think Garrett Wilson might be that guy this year. I think he's going to be good long-term, but this year with Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Conklin, who we're optimistic about, I think Wilson might take a little bit of a backseat in terms of the stats this year. So I'm going to go under, I think we'll be in the five hundreds somewhere. And then it'll be in the future when the, the breakout comes. I'm trying to remember how many games Elijah Moore played last year, um, but he he had 538 last year. What was he played? 13 he had 11, games? right? 11 uh, games. I think one, two, three. I'm not going to count it on the pod, but pff, yeah, yeah, I think 11, it's 11. So five and five, 538 in 11 games. So I think he does a little bit less than that because there's there's more mouths to feed on offense, um, and and then it's like you hope he plays more games than that, but you never know. It's not you know it's never certain. I could see Garrett Wilson missing some time with with that frame. He does need to add some more muscle, so. Um, but either way, I'm going under on that. I don't know. I don't know exactly where he falls, but I think you're right. There's too many mouths to feed for him to get over 600 yards, or at least for us to predict he gets over 600 yards. If he does, if he if he replaces, like I said, like if he's like Michael Carter last year, where he replaces Davis pretty early in the season and he's getting a lot more reps, then I could definitely see him getting over. But right now, I'll say under. How about this though? More touchdowns, Garrett Wilson or Braxton Berrios, and and we'll just assume just on offense because Berrios special teams. I feel like, well. What, do you think we should we should should we include Barrios's return game? Uh, no. Let's just look at okay. offense. Okay. More touchdowns, him or, or Wilson. This, this is a hard one because both these guys are kind of good red zone weapons. Like with Barrios, we saw last year, they get him some manufactured touches near the goal line, and then Wilson is one of your best jump ball guys. So I think he will get some fade routes in the red in the red zone and some deep balls. And some deep balls as well, which, you know, lends to touchdown scoring. But but Perios gets the end arounds, which don't count as passing touchdowns. 
Right. Uh, we'll, count the, we'll count the rushes in here. Yeah, Wilson will get some end rounds as well, too. I mean, if you haven't seen the game yeah, he had against sure. Purdue, I mean, like, he had plenty of end, end around touchdown there. You know, he, he has the the yak ability or, I mean, rack ability, I guess. Um, or, uh, I'm going to go Barrios. I'm going to go Barrios. Well, I was going to go Barrios as well, and it's just because he's the jet sweep guy. And Garrett right. Wilson and Elijah Moore will get those, those opportunities as well, but Barrios is their starting slot. I think he's – when you want to go to the, those bubble screens – I just think in the goal line, he'll have a lot of opportunities out there because I think they're going to want him out there for those jet sweep opportunities. Even if he's, they're not going to give it to him, they could use the misdirection. Like Robbie Sabos had a great point about this where it's like, you know, a lot of teams try to use the jet sweep, but it really only works if you have a legitimate threat there. And the Jets do in Barrios. You know, they, he is a legitimate guy that if they give the little touch pass to or a little flip to, like he could go 50 yards for a touchdown. So if you're on the three-yard line, and he comes in motion, a linebacker does have to follow, follow him, and a defense does have to think about him getting it. So I think that opens up, you know, you draw the defense left with Barrios moving right to left, and then you throw back right to whoever. Um, and then with that said, he's going to have to get some of those opportunities. So I think I think Barrios clears Wilson here by uh, quite a few touchdowns. Um, Hall slash Carter, 2,000-plus total yards. Yeah, over yeah I think this is – so I was looking at it earlier, and this number isn't – as crazy as it seems because just last year carter and ty johnson combined for almost 1600 so i think oh. this duo should be able to clear it pretty easily i mean you're talking about a thousand a piece you know for two running backs who are going to run the ball and catch the ball so uh, i'm going to go over um but i'm not sure by how much i think they'll be over that though yeah i'm taking the over on that as well um sauce gardner over under three and a half interceptions it's a tough one i'm, I'm gonna go under yeah. i think he'll get two probably two yeah. maybe three i don't think he's gonna be a high interception guy this year i don't think yeah well here the the thing with that and i think it was you that yeah, you had to have been you that made this point to me where it's like you know it's possible that this could be a year where right. he gets targeted the most because yeah. he's a rookie and teams are going to try to pick on him and test him. And then if he plays well, then he's going to get targeted less and less. Uh, I do end up, I do think he will end up being a high interception guy, but if teams stay away from him and granted it was, it was a small sample size in the preseason, but you know, it wasn't like he had interceptions at Cincinnati for sure, but he's not, I don't think he's ever going to be Trayvon Diggs. Four interceptions is a little high, but you know, like, like like Marcus Williams in 2015 didn't even like six interceptions. Like it's certainly plausible. And this defense is, I think will create a lot of turnovers. And it's like, so who's going to be getting those interceptions? Uh, I'm close. It's like, I think he's going to be right at three or four. And I want to give him the four because I really could see it, but I'll I'll try to temper my expectations here. I've been, I've been a lot, I've been very optimistic. So I'll say he goes three. I'll I'll take the under on that, but I I could definitely see him clearing that. Yeah. And and that was me who did bring that up when we were talking about it. Um, You know, the fact that this, as a rookie, this will probably be the most targeted season of his career, which will give him more opportunities to get those interceptions. So maybe it is the best interception interception season of his career or one of the best. Um, but at the same time, I think even though he'll be targeted more, there will be more adjustment to NFL passes, NFL receivers, and making those plays on the ball. So maybe in the future he does get more interceptions, even if he's targeted less. You know, he – picks off a higher percentage of the targets that he gets. Um, so but it's I also think, like, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You can go. You can go. Well, I was going to say, but it's also like, if he's a guy who we feel like will get burned a few times, quarterbacks, like you said, will be more likely to test him. And I do see him coming up with a lot of those pit, like the more yeah. comfortable quarterbacks get with him, the more picks he's going to get. I, 
I kind of want to go over here, but I'll stick with the under. But it, it's close. It, it, it is close. And, and I don't know if he'll ever be a super high interception guy because even in college, you know, it, it was three per year, which is great. If he can do that in the NFL, that's fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, it, it was three per year at Cincinnati. So to project him to do more in the NFL, you, you have to see it first. And that's not to say he can't be an amazing player because you don't have to get picks to be great. Darrell Revis wasn't a huge interception guy as his career developed. Um, obviously, he had you know, early on, he had the five and the six. Then after that, it was, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. He had zero in 2010, four in 2011. Uh, so rookie year, he had three. So he wasn't, you know, enormous interception guy. Most of being a great corner is about what you allow right. more so than the takeaways. And in that area, I think Gardner can be the best corner in the league. So I don't, I don't know if he's ever going to be an enormous interception guy, but I think he can be a very good one with like three to four, maybe five per year. With his length, though, I think he will be more of a threat in the ball than Revis. Because Revis was one of those guys where, like, if you put – if you press him at the line, like, he's going to be sticking to that receiver like glue the entire rep. And I think Sauce Gardner hopefully gets to the point where he's like that. But I think early on in his career, we've seen him get a little grabby. He is more like Cromartie in the sense that because he has – tremendous size and athleticism and speed he has that great makeup ability i think we saw this it was a rep that got like where like pitts beat him off the line and seemingly had a, a wide open touchdown it was a bad throw and pitts may have still come down with the touchdown but in the last five yards of that like you know sauce covered so much distance and was right there to make a play on the ball and either knock it down or, or make it like i think he will have more opportunities than revis because he's more of a guy that will rely on that that makeup speed where he might be a guy where quarterbacks think he the receiver could be open and then he comes in with his length and he jumps a ball or something like that. I don't right. know. Um, all right. Offensive line ranking over under 12 and a half. That's a, that's a pretty good over like spot for them, but I'll take, I'll take the, is it the under or the, if I'm going to say they're going to be a, like a top 10, I guess, I guess under is worse. Okay. Over yeah. is uh, better. Well, no, under would be under, under is better. Well, under right? would be a lower number, but like yeah. we're saying under, <laughs> like if you're looking at it, you know, from top to bottom, right, under okay, would be right. Okay, the like worst if you ranking, if you I put guess. it in an yeah. Excel doc, like what's yeah. well, top or okay, I'll go above that, so over. But it's close. just say better or worse. That's easier. Okay, that's fine. Better or worse than twelve and a half. I'll say better, but barely. I mean, like I think they'll be top fifteen. But if I'm going to predict nine wins, I might as well just go down the line. And I think that if they're going to win nine games, they have to be like around a twelve or an eleven. This, oh, this, this, this one's really hard because I want to say maybe a little bit worse and they'll be around league average just because well, of all the question marks you mentioned, you know, but at the same time, when you look at it, it's, there's so much investment in here. There's so much talent. Like it feels like how many offensive lines in the league do you look at and see this much investment into it? Just the money, like the Eagles, and the, you know, the pro bowls and the draft allocation right? with Vera Tucker. So it feels like it legitimately can be top 10. Uh, but at the same time, there are a lot of questions. So I'm going to say worse, but not by much. Maybe they'll be like somewhere from 13th to 15th. So slightly above average. All right. Uh, last one, team sack ranking, which again, well, team sack ranking eight and a half. I think this is the last one, right? Yeah. Uh, I'll say above. So maybe I'm being, I said I wasn't going to be too optimistic and I closed it to above, but I, I, I really do buy into the fact. I think Jets are going to be top five in sacks this year. So that one. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, yeah, I think they'll be top five in sacks. What, what about uh, over under three and a half? Do you think they get cracked top three? 
Uh, is, is, oh, we get to like random here where it's hard to see, like, but may have to make a prediction. Do you think they get top three? Uh, I'll say worse. I think they'll be like five or five or six. Mm, I say they're above that. Well, part of the reason too, well, now. There are just no, so many no, good right. D-lines out There's there. Too many good like, D-lines, you're right. Really good blitzing right. teams right. who right. just create right. the sacks. Well, also, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I think the Jets will win nine games, but I think they'll have some games where it's like teams are just going to want to run the football against them, you know, because I think that's the weakness of this team. Um, and this defensive line is those runs, those draws, the screens and stuff. And so I feel like they might have – and it's like if, if a team has a big lead against the Jets or any type of lead, it makes more sense for them to run the ball. So that's another thing where it's like if you're a team like uh, – I'm trying to think of a good one off the top of my head. They, they don't have an amazing defensive line, but like the Bills who have an amazing offense and teams are trying to pass to keep up with you, it's just more opportunities for sacks. So I don't feel like the Jets will have as many of those opportunities because I think they'll be in more – you know. I think they're going to have a lot of sacks, but top three, uh, it's hard for me to predict that. But I think you're right, around yeah. five or six. All right, I think that – is there any other ones off the top of your head while we did this? We, there's not, not any more in the, the Google Doc we have, but um, any other last superlatives or over-unders? Uh, questions? I actually had one question that came up okay. earlier. I forgot to ask it, but do you think there is maybe a possibility that week one, talking about the tight ends here, that the Jets – make Rucker de-inactive and activate Cager? That's a good question. I mean, we could have talked about that on Friday, but no, because I think who who is there? I mean, I shouldn't say that. There is a chance, but I think because because Cager, I played more than Rucker in the offseason, um, but I think Rucker gives the block. I mean, because there's no Wesco or Bodden, Rucker has to be the blocking tight end and that's big on special teams too to have like yeah. a blocking tight end or fullback out there where i think cager can probably play some special teams but rucker is probably the better special teams player as of right now and he brings you that fullback tight and it's like you know it's bigger investment too but that, that is an interesting question yeah i, I don't know it, it just came cager. up it just came up for me because you know rucker you know missed a lot of time then when he did play he's kind of getting playing really late in the game do you think they, so, they make him inactive he says he's expecting it and it, it makes sense, you know, if he doesn't play special teams. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Which, <laughs> not great publicity, I guess, but it does. He's, you know, they're keeping Mims because he's Davis insurance. So Mims's moment will come this season. Somebody will get injured and he'll have that make or breaks, you know, moment this year, but it won't be week one. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other questions I wanted to ask you. Um, I, but one more guy for letdown, and I didn't throw him in here because it's like how much of a letdown could he be? because um, he doesn't get talked about that much, but LaMarcus Joyner. Guy hasn't played high-quality football in a few years, missed all of last year. The Jets are pegging him as their starting free safety. The, the safety depth there is questionable. I know they like Tony Adams a lot, um, so I could see Adams supplanting Joyner at some point. It seems like in the the preseason, well, more so the practice clips, you got to see Joyner was on the bad yeah. end of a few of those plays. So, uh, But he's not a crazy big letdown because it's like, what are people expecting from Marcus Joyner this year? So I don't know. Yeah, I think you know, I guy. agree. I, I was thinking about him, but I, I, had, I had the same thought process. Like, I could see that, but I feel like most Jets fans are kind of at the point now where they understand Joyner expectations are are pretty low for him. So, but but yeah, I can see him being. I can see him struggling and then being supplanted for sure. All right, last one. Here's the last question: Which starters? Which opening day starters? are not starting by week 18 
ignoring injuries because there will be guys right. who aren't starting yeah. because of injuries, but like which guys like Michael Carter wasn't a starter at the beginning of last year. Then he was a starter. Who are some of the guys that you think, well, I guess it's easier to do this. Who are some guys who are starters? Um, I guess it works both ways by the end of the year, week 18 that aren't right now. Garrett Wilson, Brees um, Hall. Does Michael Carter count as a starter? The running Over back? Hall? Yeah, he's the yeah. starter right now. Yeah, he's on the depth chart. Like, I, you go look at the Jets' official depth chart and who will walk out there for the first rep against the, the Ravens. Who's getting replaced by week 18? Because I think you're, I think Hall will be the starting running back by the end of the year. I also think Carter's going to have a huge role. I just think it makes more sense for Carter to be the more of the third down receiving back. They'll do both, but... Hall certainly built better for January football. Yeah, so I think definitely Hall, Conklin over Uzama. He's he's um, already the starter. So is he? Uh, I thought on yeah. the death chart that Uzama was number one. Uh, let me look. Hold on. Let me look at the the ESPN one. You you keep talking. I, I got to find there. Is, is Barrios considered a starter over Wilson? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He is. He's I, starting I think soccer. we'll go with that one. You think you think um, he's starting? But, but is he starting over Barrios or is he starting over Corey Davis? I think over Barrios in the slot. So he's the slot. Okay. Yeah. I disagree with that. I think I think he's starting over Corey Davis on the outside. I think Barry. I think it'll be more Wilson and Barrios week eighteen. But you know, this is all okay. I'm a little bit higher on on Corey Davis, so I think I, that's no, no, why. I like I like I guess that's true. Uh, I don't know. I think Barrios, what he brings to this offense is is underrated a little bit by you with the jet sweep stuff and the the bubble screen and the, just the, what he, the dynamic he brings with that motion pre-snap is something. Well, I, I mean, Garrett Wilson could have scored that touchdown against the Bucks. That's true. I know. mean, I guess that's true. Do you think Garrett Wilson as a rookie makes more sense in that role or Davis's role? Because is there any touchdown that Barrio scored last year that Garrett Wilson couldn't have scored outside of the kick returns? Hmm. Probably not in theory. So that's a good point, except do you think that Corey Davis at this point in his career should be getting, re- I mean, I, I, how much stock do you put in Davis being like the bigger physical receiver? Cause it doesn't seem like this offense that matters as much. Like they're still running the same plays where it's like, you run a post, you run a dig, you run to the floor. You know what I mean? Like Garrett Wilson can do all of that. So it's, it's really, it's really between Davis and Barrios. Cause I think by the year Garrett Wilson is starting and who is he supplanting? I'm predicting more of Davis because I think that Barrios brings more to the table than Davis does. But you're saying that you think, Davis brings more than Barrios. I don't know. I think Barrios will absolutely have a role throughout the entire season. It's just, you know, at some point, I think Garrett Wilson's going to earn more playing time. And it's who do you take snaps from? A guy in Corey Davis, who's a legitimate starting receiver, or a guy in Barrios, who's, you know, more of a gadget guy and doesn't really, isn't a starting caliber receiver, mm-hmm. I don't think. So I don't know. That's just sort of where I lean. But I do underrate him. I don't know. He, does his contract suggest he's underrated? I don't know. His contract is uh, that of what he is, which is slot guy, gadget guy, kick returner, punt returner. Well, I don't, if you if you take off the kick, you know he got. So you're okay. So you're saying by week eighteen, you just you're putting Garrett Wilson in the slot and all those jet motion stuff. No, I think Barrios can still, when you need him, he can do that. But for the most part, I think Garrett Wilson is out there. But isn't it a bit of a t- – well, I guess the thing is, is you, you don't want to – it can't be too much of a tell when Barrios is out. Like, you have to have plays 
where Barrios is out. The one thing that I did see in the preseason that was interesting is they had a lot of times where Barrios would, and this might give him the edge of Wilson this position, is they would motion Barrios in closer to the to the tight end and run the ball. Like, and they're not running behind Barrios, but he would get, you know, in the, the mix of things. And, you know, Barrios is, you know, he's not an amazing blocker or anything, but he hustles on those blocks. He holds his own, I guess. He had a, he had one really good play against, I think it was the Giants. They hit a few reps like that. You know what I'm talking about? Where they almost put him at H back, um, which I think yeah, yeah, I know you're talking about with yeah. Garrett Wilson. I don't know. Okay, I guess I guess we could we can wrap it up there though. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anybody else we should we should talk on this. We we covered a lot of bases here. We will be back on Friday previewing the the Ravens game specifically. The plan for the season is we I know we've been flaky this entire the last few months. Life has gotten in the way, but we do plan on this season Monday and Friday. That's what we're shooting for every week until the Jets don't win a game in September. And then we'll be just every Monday. But if they're, you know, the first four or five weeks of the season, we'll have two a week and then we'll see. But Mondays should be the uh, the time from here on out. Um, uh, so, yeah, I know this is coming out Tuesday, but Michael, I couldn't be any more excited for this Sunday. I, I know I wish it was maybe an easier game than the Ravens, but I just am so excited to see um, real live Jets football and especially this year. So, I uh, can't wait to watch the game with you. Can't wait to to watch Jets sort of melt down after two plays like last year. I mean, people were calling for Salah to be fired already. <laughs> people were tweeting me. You'll DM me. Actually, you'll be sitting next to me. What am I saying? You'll be telling me instead of DMing me how bad this Jets team is. Like, that's your thing is you joke yep, about Yeah, you'll get to hear that in like, person. <laughs> like, Brees Hall will have one, one run that'll go for, like, one yard, and he'll be like, Brees Hall's terrible. He's horrible. We shouldn't have drafted him. Trade up a horrible value. Like, you just start saying, the you know, going way over the top, and it – ruins the experience for me so i have that to look forward to this Sunday. it's sarcastic everyone just just putting that out yeah. there yeah it is sarcastic he's just being mean um all right <laughs> we'll be back on friday previewing the game you can follow us at cyj pod on twitter michael at michael underscore nanny and myself ben w blessington go to jetsxfactor.com for the best place to go for jets content uh like rate review on itunes subscribe on youtube that is all everybody have a great week we'll be back on friday